Psalm 103 is where we'll be this morning. We'll do verses 13 um, through the end of the chapter. Uh, I want to start this morning a little bit different. Um, I want to talk candidly with you for a moment um, about the state of our church. Um, There are things that uh, we as leaders, we see um, that we really love uh, about this church that I want to encourage you with. And then there's, other, there's a few other things that we want to see growth in. And, and so one of them is obvious. Um, here's what we, we think that we do really well at. Uh, we think we have a great uh, community that is centered around uh, God's word. Um, this is exceptionally rare, I believe, uh, when you see a church like this. I think we have a very loving, serving uh, group of people who care for each other. I think we have a really good discipleship culture. I've said this a bunch of times. It's, it's rare that you can go to a coffee shop or something like that in Greenville and where you don't see someone doing, walking through the Word together, praying for each other. Uh, and I, I hear wonderful stories about just people that uh, care about discipleship and disciple others. So I think that's one of the wonderful things about um, our church. I think there's a lot of people that are willing to position their lives around the gospel, uh, go to the hard places and share the gospel. We obviously want to see uh, more and more of that. I mean, it's a very beautiful thing that we see um, here. Um, but there's one thing I would say as, as leaders uh, where we really want to see growth in, uh, in our church, and this even begins with, with all of us, um, is our personal time with the Lord. Um, I believe that we are a church that does, does love Scripture. Um, uh, we build our community around Scripture. In fact, I think about over 50% of you are in small group communities, which are, which are excellent. Um, I think that's, that shows a lot of maturity for, for our church. Um, and I think that we, we care deeply for that. And that, that's something I, I always want to encourage. So if you're not in a small group, when we launch in the fall, we encourage you to, to get involved uh, in one. But a lot of that is horizontal. That's how we view others. That's how we view the body of Christ. Um, but what I'm really talking about this morning is more vertical. Um, how are we doing in our daily personal walks with God? How are we doing when we get home and we slow our lives down? Do we open the word and do we meditate on the word of God? Are we opening the word and understanding scripture well and trying to grow in our personal relationship with God? And I would say many of you in this room, uh, including our leaders, we uh, struggle with this. And um, we want to be more intentional on how we lead in that way. And I want to see that grow in our church. Um, many of you, when I meet with you, you say, man, this is one of my biggest struggles. I'm just not in the word uh, regularly. And so there are a couple of reasons why I think we might struggle with this. One of the things that you'll see at Integrity is when we preach, we'll say we, we fight hard against legalism. And so one of the things about legalism is, you know, legalism is this idea of um, you do something for God and then God does something for you. And so a lot of times, even you can even turn that into the way you do your quiet time, the way you pray. A lot of times people do that and they think, well, I'm doing the quiet time so I can get the promotion at work. Or I'm doing the quiet time so I can get, uh, my, my marriage would be better. And there's a motivation out of it that's not centered on, I want to do my quiet time so, or my time with the Lord so I can know him. And so sometimes we, we fight against that. We challenge that, hey, like don't do your quiet time just so you can get a promotion at work or so you don't get in a rat accident on your way home. That's not even biblical. Um, and so, it's, so we, we really fight hard against that. And so sometimes when, when you hear us do it so often, uh, I think it, it, might, it might lend itself to us being lazy. Uh, another thing would be, um, one of the things that we haven't done uh, well, I would say we haven't celebrated the times that people are growing in that way. Uh, and then we haven't talked about it enough that that is a sign of maturing in Christ where you 
uh, you get home and you slow your life down and then you open God's word and then you, and you have a regular time of, of prayer. And so, um, but we want to see this continue to grow in our church. And so here's my fear this morning, because this is a lot of what we're going to talk about in the Psalm 103. Uh, my fear is that we would leave here and we would get on the hamster wheel of legalism. Like we would hear it almost like, like we would um, a workout um, you know, message like, oh man, I got to get home and just work out and I'm so out of shape. And so you're, you're, you're going to like go out and leave and you're going to try to like CrossFit your quiet times. And um, my fear in that, and you're going to Instagram pictures of you doing your quiet time. And like, look, that's not what we want you to do. All right. Um, at all. Um, uh, we don't want you to leave here and, and get on that kind of regimented view of this is what I need to do to be right with, with God. Uh, we want you to leave here with the right perspective of God and the right motivation uh, so that you would um, figure out what is it about God um, that causes me not to uh, go to his word regularly. And so I want us to grapple with this idea of what is it about God that doesn't compel me to seek him on a daily basis. And that's the whole reason for this series. It's for us to meditate on God so that we might live in light of his character. And that's what it means to be still uh, and know that he is God. And so in Psalm 103, uh, this is actually what David is doing. Uh, King David, he's writing a song to the Lord where he wants to bless the Lord. And this simply is to remember, and what it means to bless the Lord, because we talked about a lot about that last week, is uh, what that is, is simply you are um, seeing the character of God and you're living your life in response to that. So everything that we are going to see in Psalm 103 is how David is responding to the character of God. And hopefully in this, we'll see our motivation to live our lives to bless the Lord. So look, look with me, Will, in Psalm 103, verse 13. This is what King David says about the Lord. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the children shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, what is it that compels David to live for God? What is it that causes David to feel like he's loved by God or believe that he's loved by God. David sees God as what? He says, a compassionate father. And I want you to wrap your mind around David saying this. David is a king and a king would bow to no one. He's the king of the Israelites and he yet sees God in this way of he's my father. A king sees God as his father. Now, part of this is because David says, he doesn't have this flippant relationship with God where he just sees him just as a father, but he also sees him as, he says, those who fear him. He's compassionate on those who fear him. So he's, for David, he's not just his father, but he's also his king. And so there's this reverent respect for God, but he also sees him as a father. So this is the relationship that King David has where he does see him as supreme, but he also sees him as a, compared to God, he is his child. And this doesn't mean that it's flippant, but he sees the need to be uh, fearful of God in this way that he is reverent. He sees him in this reverent way. So take note of the way that David talks about God here, because the way that he does, I think, I believe, 
is foundational on the way that we see him and, and, and the way that we go to him in the first place. And so he's a king, yet he is our compassionate father, and we have direct access to God in this way. And so I, ask that, I say that because every time we open his word, we are hearing from our king who's supreme over all things that we are called to fear and he's our compassionate father that we can go to willingly. And so there's this tension that um, he's your father, but he's also your king, which means he has the high, we, ought, we ought to have the highest respect and honor to him, but yet we also realize that when we approach him, uh, he allows us to with open arms. And so I don't know if you've ever um, been in a situation where you realize you're talk- the person that you're talking to, they, you didn't realize until later in the conversation that they have status or clout or they're famous. Um, but not long ago, I was actually last summer, I was, um, I was meeting with an elderly man here in Greenville, and he began to talk about uh, what his sons did, and he said, you know, my son is a CEO, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, um, your lawnmower guy might say he's a CEO of the company that he owns, so I'm just like, okay, CEO, right? And then we keep going, we keep talking, and then, like, he's like, yeah, when he's, you know, he loves it over there at Etsy, and I'm like, oh, he's the CEO of Etsy. Like, that would have been, so his house is probably made of pallets. Awesome. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing more and more about, you know, this is a huge company. And I'm just like, and I, as I'm talking to him, I'm like, your, your son is the CEO of Etsy. And I'm, I'm starting to realize, like, my posture changes, right? My, my, the way I communicate to him is saying, like, he's not some crazy old man. Like, he's, like he's, you know, he's telling me the truth here and, like, and then he's telling me, you know, I'll get to fly to New York and see him and, and tour the, you know, whatever and tour the office complex and see all the things, their new projects they're working on. I'm like, that is amazing. My wife would die to see that place, you know, and like, and so, but my attitude begins to change. And it's, it's not that I fear him like I'm afraid of this uh, gentleman that I'm before, but I, there's a posture of, of change for me of, of, it's a little bit of respect, a little bit of, like, he's got a little bit of clout for me, Right. And so if you've ever felt that from someone, if you've ever been around someone of, of status or of um, even if you've ever met a, a government official, a governor, whatever, you began to feel yourself change, your posture changes, your demeanor changes. And David, who's the king of kings, or the king of Israel, he submits to the king of kings in this way. He goes, I fear him, but he's compassionate on those who fear him. So He's this compassionate father, but I reverently approach him. And so I think this is danger, like when we pray sometimes, there's this, there can be this flippant way of you, you, you take the compassionate father too far where you're just like praying in a way it's like, oh, hey God, um, thanks for like helping me today and, you know, dad and like all the kind of, you know, Jesus is my homeboy kind of language that we want to do. You have to remember that he is the king of kings, right? Yet... He is your father that you can cry out to. But there, so there's this reverence that when you approach him, that you realize that he is the king of kings, yet he comes to you. Um, he allows you to come to him um, with open arms. And so he's our king, yet he is our compassionate father. Tim Keller said it well. He said, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And he says, we have that kind of access. 
And so the, the fact that we have the access to come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that alone should motivate us to pray and to go to him regularly. Now, David is going to take this idea and he's going to expand on it in verse 14 through 16. He says, for he, this compassionate king who's our father, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are, what's the word? Dust. For as a man, as for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. Now what David is doing is he's contrasting our kingdom to God's kingdom. And he's talking about how the short time that we have to live on this earth. It is, as James says in James 4.14, he says, what is your life? For you are a midst mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. David sees how small we are in comparison to the magnitude and the supremacy of who God is. And so he talks about, he says, notice what he does. He says, God knows our frame and that we are dust. And there's beauty in that because he's saying, we're dust, He's our king, yet he's our father. It shows you that he rules in this way, but yet he is compassionate on each of us individually. And that, to me, is amazing. Uh, one of the most, most sweetest times I've had with my son, uh, Finn, my oldest son, he's um, eight years old, um, was at the beach this past summer. We were on a pier, and we were looking over the water, looking over the Atlantic, and I said... Um, Finn, he said, what's on the other side of that? And there's another country on the other side of that. And well, can we go there? I'm like, no. <laughs> um, well, how long would it take for us to go there on a boat? I said it would take months, possibly even over a year to get that far. I don't know. Like, you know? Um, and uh, a really long time. And I'm like, look at those stars. I said, those stars are light years away. It would take us lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes to even get to those stars. And God, those stars are bigger than this planet that we're on. And I began to talk about the stars and how big the stars were and how big the ocean. I said, Finn, do you even know that most of the world are oceans like this? And I began to unpack that idea and that concept. And I began to say, God created all of the, all of the water so that plants would grow so that we could eat food, so that we could drink. And, and, and he also put around us this atmosphere that keeps us breathing fresh air every day. And um, I begin to say, and he put, he allowed us to have gravity so that we don't just float up into space. And he has, he holds everything together perfectly. And then I said, you know why he did all of that? And he's like, why? I said, because he wants you to know that he is good. And that you, if you believe in Christ and his finished work on the cross, because Jesus did all of that so that you, God did all of that so that you would see who Jesus is. And so he sent Jesus to come into the world, to this world that he created. Even though he, had, he owns all of that and created all of that, to this little dot, he put his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so, you know, 
the only hope that you have to have a relationship with this God, he provided a way through Jesus Christ. And Finn just goes, wow, when are we going to go fishing, right? It just moves on, right? And uh, maybe he'll get it one day. You know, maybe the Lord will open his heart to see the gospel. But I, why did I tell you all that? Because what, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to start, and I've shared the gospel with my son a bunch of times. I didn't want to start with, you're a sinner, you need a savior. Now, that's a, you can say that, okay? That's true, all right? But it's good for him to see this, this, the magnitude of who God is. Look at the attention. Look at the detail that God put into this world. And he did all that to show you that you're dust. But look, I still love you. And this is how far that I went to display my love for you. And there's this beauty for us to say we're dust. This time that we have on this earth is vapor in, in comparison to all of eternity from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and Omega. And so that is what it means to be still and know that he is God. It's just compare yourself to what he has done. And so God is this magnificent creator. He's our king and he's our compassionate father. Who are we? And David's going to go on and talk more about how God interacts with his people Verse 17 through 18, this is what he says. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. There it is again. And his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, We've talked about this over and over again about when the Psalms were written. Um, These were written during the Old Covenant time. So they they would have been under the law. That's how God would have interacted with his people. And that's how the Israelites would have interacted with God. Meaning their understanding of their relationship with God is, if I do this, then God owes me this. God, if I do this, then God promises me this. And this is why when you read the Psalms and the Proverbs, you see this language all the time. To give your first fruits uh, to him, you will have an increase in your barns. You'll see all of that language. And what that is, is, is contractual language. It's a contract. That's, that's the relationship that you would have with God. You hold, I hold up my end of my bargain, and then therefore God holds up his end. And I want you to even see um, the way that when, when Moses describes the old covenant in Deuteronomy 28, he talks about blessings and curses. And I even want you to see the language that Moses uses here in Deuteronomy 28. I want you to see the contract language here that we see. He says, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, if you faithfully obey the voice of your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord, your God, will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of your, the Lord your God, blessed, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be you be in the fruit of the womb. Uh, for the fruit of your ground, for, for the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed be all your, your basket and kneeling bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. How are you blessed? You obey all of his commandments. You, you do your end of the bargain and you will be blessed. See the language, it's very 
contractual. It's based on this contract relationship that we would have, that a person would have with God. Even in Exodus 23, verse, 30, uh, verse uh, 22, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So this is the language that is used in the old covenant of if you do this, God will do this. It is a contract relationship. Now, David talks about this contract relationship, and he calls it God's steadfast love. In other words, David even saw um, the goodness of God, even in this, to reveal sin to him, to show him how sinful he is, and then, then experiencing David as an adulterer, as a murderer, then experiencing the grace of God even in that. But yes, David saw that, and he referred to it as God's steadfast love. But what David only saw was a picture of something greater that we get to be benefits of. And what is that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Because the gospel is not based on a contract. The gospel is based on the finished work of Christ, and then our relationship to him is a response to how he's changed us. This is why Paul says it in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord God, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works. It's not a contract. Not because of works. Not because of what you do. But this is what he says. But because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In other words, we're going to live for him to a holy living, to a holy calling, because it's by faith in Christ alone. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through, what's the word? Faith. It's not of your own doing. So it's not his contract. There it is again. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, Paul reiterates this language. We are saved by grace through faith alone. This is not a contract. And we obey because we've been given a new heart, not because we're trying to earn something from God. It's because God made us from God haters to God lovers. And we've been given this gift of faith. And that is all we need. And so David, even looking at the old covenant, saw God's steadfast love. But what David saw was only a picture of something greater, and that was Jesus and his finished work. When Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life and died in our place on the cross and rose from the grave and conquered the penalty of Satan, sin, and death, that is the benefit that we get to enjoy. And that is God's steadfast love. That is what we get to enjoy as believers in Christ. And so we are blessed beyond anything that this world has to offer because of what Jesus has done. 
And so when we reflect on God's character, when we read this psalm, we cannot read this psalm without thinking and remembering what Christ has done in our place. When we think about his steadfast love and we look at he keeps his covenants with his people, he does in the sense of what Jesus has done for us, that his covenant with us as believers in Christ is this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And you'll keep sinning over and over again, but you will grow to love God more because of the spirit that's in your life. So when you read about the steadfast love of God in Psalm, I want you to think about Jesus and his finished work. So we have this gracious, magnificent king who is our father, who is our compassionate father, but David says more in verse 19. He says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels. You mighty ones, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Blessed, bless the Lord and his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places on his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So in verse 20, he reflects on, he says, bless the Lord, O you his angels who do his mighty works. Here he's, he's just talking about Again, the supremacy of God in all things. But here he even mentions angels. In scripture, um, we don't know a lot about what an- angels actually do. We know that they are, angels were uh, to worship God. They've been here since the very beginning. Angels marvel at what God has done in this world from beginning to end. And angels, um, those who rebelled against God, and we see this throughout um, the Old Testament prophets, um, they talk about how the angels rebelled against God, and those who rebelled against God be, were demons. They, they went the way that Lucifer went, Satan, and then they are now demons. So the angels did not get um, a second chance like we got, or a third or a 150th chance like we get. Um, angels are, were agents to worship God. And so this brings for me um, a tremendous pet peeve when we talk about angels, all right? I'm just going to be completely honest. When I go to a funeral, what do people always say at funerals? They're, they died now, and now they're just angels in heaven. And now they have a halo on their head, they got wings, and it's just like, listen, if you say that at my funeral, I will haunt you. <laughs> like, I don't even believe that's biblical, but I will ask Jesus for permission. Like, Jesus, give me permission to haunt this person because they called me an angel. Um, because what that does, it actually minimizes the gospel. Um, let me tell you what First Peter says, okay? Peter, he talks about the prophets of old and how they awaited the coming of Christ. That the prophets of old, they searched the Old Testament and they realized the Old Testament scriptures were, were all about Jesus. And then he says this in, in 1 Peter 1, 2. He says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven into which angels long to look. Angels long to look more at the gospel, the finished work of Christ. And in the Greek, the language actually, it says angels, they stretch their necks out at the gospel to look more at the gospel. In other words, 
The angels that fell did not get grace. But what the angels, when they see the gospel at work in our lives, they go, you gave Ben Tugwell another chance? You gave Ben Tugwell grace upon grace. You lavished your grace upon Ben. You lavished your grace upon uh, the people at integrity. Like, I, we can't believe, they, they, they can't fathom that type of love and that grace. And it causes angels to worship him more. And this grace is astounding. And, and that's what we see. So again, when we read the Psalms, I want you to wrap your mind on this side of the cross. What does it mean for us? Well, we look at it and we go, okay, he's established his throne over heavens and kingdoms rule over all, all through Christ. He, uh, blessed be the Lord, over his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Again, all through Christ. Blessed the Lord, his hosts, his ministers who do his will all through Christ. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places in his dominion. Bless the Lord, all my soul. All of it is really about Jesus. And so... When we die, we don't become angels. We become a glorified virgin of ourselves. We no longer live in a world of sin. We're all sons and daughters who will spend eternity worshiping our king. So David's message for us this morning as we read this text through the lenses of the gospel, don't take what God has done for us for granted. Don't take it for granted. And I think that's, Ultimately, the big overarching struggle that we will have when it comes to slowing down our lives, finding time to open his word, to see his character, and to let God's word shape our lives. That, that's the challenge for us. We go to him and we pray and we ask him for forgiveness for our sins. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for our enemies. We pray for um, our country. We pray for the world. We pray for the nations. What is it that slows us down? I really do believe it's just us not focusing on the character of God and we absolutely take all of the things that he does for granted. And I think that's what happens when we don't dive into his word. And so all of us are guilty of taking him for granted. I know that I am. And it's interesting. Um, I think about this. I think about my own parents, like my own father. And I didn't realize even, um, I'm learning more and more as a um, 36-year-old how much I took my parents for granted. And reason-wise, because I have my own kids now. And when I was a kid, I was a handful. Um, I am the youngest of nine, and uh, I am literally a redheaded stepchild. That is a true story. And, um, but I, I was a pretty bratty kid, and I realized how bratty I was now that I have my own kids. Like, why are you doing that? Oh, I did that way worse, you know, and, like, and better. Um, and so um, I was the youngest of four by nine years. Um, which basically meant I got whatever I wanted. Um, and talk about angels. My sister still to this day thinks I do no wrong. Um, and so I remember going to Shoney's. Um, I, are they still around? I don't even know if they're still around. Okay. I loved Shoney's. And so I like mainly because of that bear. Um, and so I would throw a fit uh, anytime we were traveling. My dad traveled a lot um, through business. And I would throw a fit. We've got to go to Shoney's. We've got to go to Shoney's. And it was a... Um, it was like a, 
uh, it was in the early morning, it was probably like 9 o'clock in the morning, so everybody was serving breakfast, but Shoney's has an open menu, you can order anything you want, they did then anyway, uh, I haven't been in a long time, um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, so I hear the waiter say, you can order anything on the menu, and I'm like, I'm going to get spaghetti, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, I don't care, and my dad says, son, you can't get spaghetti, I'm like, it's on the menu, if they didn't want us to have it, they shouldn't put it on the menu, and the waiter's even like, spaghetti, are you sure? I'm like, you have it on the menu. And I'm like nine years old, like debating with my dad. And, and I eat spaghetti. And my dad was just saying, son, you shouldn't do that. And I was just like, why? You know, why shouldn't I eat spaghetti? And, and for me, I was just the, the king of the world in that moment. And I didn't even realize like until way later, like how ridiculous that was. And I was like, man, my dad, like, well, he should have smacked me, right? <laughs> but I was like, how did he just sit with me in that moment? Like, my, my kid, like, I would drag his butt out, right? You can get spaghetti, I'm, you know. <laughs> like, you know, I, and I was just thinking, man, I just took that, everything that my parents did, I just took that so much for granted. And the more and more when I see habits of my own children, I'm like, man, I took that for granted. My you know, my parents protected me. My parents loved me. They provided for me. And they, you know, they, they could have, like, that could have been a moment where they just left me at Shoney's and just never talked to me again. They didn't do that. And, like, how thankful I am, um, especially Shoney's. Um, and so, but, but look, the older I get, the more and more I realize I take my parents for granted. And here's the, here's the sad part. Um, when I really take them for granted is when they're gone. And when I can't, talk to them anymore. And I can't ask that question. Um, hey, what, when, you know, I was three, what did I, you know, when I went to the doctor, what was that about? Like, I can't ask that question anymore. And I'll be going to go, oh, I wish I could just talk to him one more time. Right. And my, my wife has, um, has had loss in her life. She lost her mother when she was young. And so she always talks about, it. and I wish I could have this moment with my, my mother. This is what I would ask her. This is what I would talk to her about. You know what's interesting? That's what it means to take your parents for granted. We do the same thing with God all the time. You know, we can even say, okay, if Jesus were to come here right now, what would we ask him? What kind of questions would we have for him? Here's the good news. Everything that he wants you to know is here. Everything that your father, your compassionate father, who is eternal, he is forever. And you, you can take him for granted here on earth. But look, listen, you never have that reality where they're no longer here. Their mind is gone. No, your father, your compassionate father is eternal and he's supreme over all things. And you, believer, can go to him at any point. And you can ask him anything, and everything that he wants you to know is here. And there might be questions here that you want to know that aren't here. But he's saying, I'm giving you everything that you need to know. Everything that you need to know about his character that will shape your life and cause you to grow in maturity and love and to overcome this world that we're in is here. And so do not take him for granted this morning. Remember that we have that kind of access to our Father.
So my questions are this, where are you taking him for granted? What is it about his character that causes you to take him for granted this morning? Maybe this morning you just need to remember that he's your compassionate father and you might have sin in your life, but he's compassionate and he allows you to come to him with open arms. He's compassionate on those who fear him. So which means you're walking in repentance. And then if, if we confess our sins, we saw this in First John, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. So he's our compassionate father. Maybe you just remember that he is your king. He rules over all things from beginning to end. The things that have happened in your past, the things that are happening to you now, he is sovereign over And he, if you're a believer, loves you and everything that's going to happen in your life is ultimately for your good. Maybe you just remember that he is your creator, that he's supreme above all things and that you are dust. This time that we have on this earth is a vapor and it is short. Maybe you just need to remember that he is the Lord over all. And so my question says, where his character are you taking him for granted where is it that you're not compelled to go before him to open his word to know him more and to pray to him so this morning i'm going to invite you as we respond to ask the spirit of god to show you those things in your heart so that we might be still and know that he's god let's pray father we are so grateful for who you are thank you for being our compassionate Father. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for being our creator. Thank you for being supreme ruler of all. And Lord, I pray that wherever in our lives that we take you for granted, Lord, would you reveal that to us today? And we would repent. And Lord, would we, would we go to you regularly? Not because we are trying to earn your favor, but because we really desire to know you. Because Lord, what we know about you shapes our lives and it causes us to grow, to love you more and to love others more. So help us to do that this morning. Give us the ability to search our hearts and then repent of our sins. And Lord, for those in this room who do not know you, Lord, if they're, maybe they're here on a workspace idea of salvation on a contract base, if I'm here on Sunday, you'll bless me. Or if I do these things and you'll bless me, no, Lord, help them to see that it's through faith in Christ alone, the finished work of Christ. So Lord, I pray that for those who do not believe, we ask that you would grant them the gift of faith so they might repent and believe in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.